and welcome to the fourth series of the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to say that. I have so, so missed making this podcast and I am just thrilled to be back with such an amazing series of some incredible guests and some really, really important, interesting subject matters. Ones that I have been thinking about covering for a really long time and just not being sure of who the best people to talk to were and here I am saying that I've that we've done it (laughs) that the people I wanted to chat to said yes which is brilliant so yes a bit of a life update from me as well so one of the reasons why it's been so long since um the last series is because I am actually currently pregnant with my second child so life has got rather hectic my my son who has just turned four is about to start school in a few months and we're preparing for a new baby and yeah work life business all of that stuff super busy but I am really really thrilled that I could get this series out before the new arrival who will hopefully be with us in the um in the autumn and if you are new here and you've never listened to the podcast before I'm Hannah I'm a holistic sleep consultant which means essentially that I'm I don't do cry out I'm not here for sort of traditional sleep training I'm very much all about kind of responsive um child-led approaches whilst also supporting the parents to find kind of sustainable ways to make their current sleep set up work. So that's me. I live in London with my husband, my son, and like I said, we're expecting our um, our second child in a couple of months. And if you want to know a little bit more about how I work, how you could work with me, I, I do one-to-ones with families all over the world. And I also have a range of webinars and guides on my website that you can buy uh, for more self-paced stuff. So everything from kind of big sleep guides all about kind of the baby and the toddler sleep phases, which are sort of created as a sort of one-stop shop to include everything you might need to know about baby sleep or toddler sleep while you're in that stage they're available now my my big kind of sleep guides and they also involve lots and lots of troubleshooting so if you um for example if you enjoy my q a's on instagram but would like to have those answers all in one place essentially there's lots and lots of troubleshooting and lots of sleep science and information about child development and what practical ways that we can improve our sleep while still being responsive and uh, nurturing and trusting our own instincts with our children's sleep and then I have a really broad range of webinars as well that um, cover more specific queries so if you don't need the full sleep guide but you want to explore night weaning or settling your child into childcare, or introducing another caregiver around sleep then I've got uh, an hour-long workshop for you just come along to to my website or check out the link in my bio on Instagram okay so that's that's everything from me. Thank you again for being here and let's crack on. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses... The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality second hand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. 
Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com, to sign up today. So my guest today is the absolutely brilliant relationship therapist and coach Catherine Topham Sly, who you may know from her Instagram account, Insight and Connection. Catherine is the expert in happy relationships after kids, and this is a subject that I have been just genuinely desperate to cover for so long because in my opinion how relationships and partnerships change after we become parents is still just not spoken about widely enough especially I think in the lead up to birth itself so then when our relationship is adapting to this new stage in life it can come as a real shock when things aren't quite as harmonious and blissfully loved up as they might seem to be in tv and movies So there can be a lot of um, stigma and shame around that and shock. So today we are going to be talking about sex, communication and resentment after having a baby. I asked Catherine, what's normal? Is everyone else having loads of sex? How can you stay connected when your libido has essentially left the building? And why does that happen for so many new parents? How can you stay connected to your partner when you are just totally touched out? And what about sex after that baby phase when you're when you're wanting to maybe get back in the saddle, so to speak? And is it a bit awkward? How can you talk to your partner about intimacy without it becoming an argument or something that hurts your partner's feelings or just feels uncomfortable? And we even covered sex for co-sleepers. So join us now for some myth busting, taboo breaking and practical ways to improve your relationship today. Hi, Catherine, how are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you, Anna. I'm so 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 excited you're here thank you Um, so for people listening Catherine is a relationship therapist and coach and I have to say a few weeks ago on my Instagram I started talking about sex and relationships and my DMs have never been kind of crazier or more people you know I I feel like it's a subject that uh, particularly as new parents is just uh I don't know maybe I don't think it's something we really talk enough about actually in ter- not just not just um like physical intimacy but just how much your um how much having a baby can really change your relationship and I think there's a lot of embarrassment or shame attached to that and I think a lot of people find it as a big shock as well um or something that they weren't prepared for and uh and then they feel like oh is that just me you know because maybe perhaps you just see out in the rest of the world blissful couples having the best time ever loving their baby posting about it on social media uh we've just had father's day here in the UK so it's like you might have seen all these lovely posts being like oh I've got this amazing partner or you know and then thinking oh my reality is not matching up to that so um I've wanted to talk about sex and relationships on this podcast for the last two years and I'm just so thrilled that, that you yeah that you said yes and that you could be the person we have this conversation with so um yeah so Catherine runs Insight and Connection which is based in Brighton and Hove obviously you work with people remotely and all over the world mm-hmm. um uh, but yeah so tell me a little bit more like how did you get into this space Catherine 
I, it's so true what you were just saying about how we don't talk about it. Um, and I think that is partly what got me into it. So I was, um, you know, I've been working for, a, I was working as a therapist. Um, I had my own children. They were quite young at the time um, when I started. And I really noticed in that phase of life just how much pressure it's putting on our relationships and how little people are talking about it. And we just so often find ourselves comparing what's going on in private inside our homes or even inside ourselves to what we see on the outside of other people don't we so we see these like social media highlight roles and you know you would get the impression before you have a baby that it is going to be a really lovely romantic thing that's going to bring you together and you know the pictures that you see are always of the baby sleeping soundly and the couple looking lovingly into each other's eyes and it's just so far from the challenges of what actually happens. And I'm, I've always been very drawn to topics that seem a bit taboo or seem like nobody's talking about them. Um, and I think that's part of what motivated me to get into this world and to start helping couples with that. Because it's so hard, isn't it? You know, we're sleep deprived, we're learning to parent, which is really stressful. Hormones are all over the place. Bodies are all over the place. And then we've got all the stuff going on inside as well, like the identity shift, you know, we're feeling really differently about ourselves and our partners. That's completely normal. We've got less freedom and all this responsibility. We're getting used to being called mom and dad while we're sort of still looking at each other like, who are you now? Who am I now? You know, there's less money to go around. We don't have as much privacy. Like there's so many pressures that come, even as it, you know, it's such a special time. It is such a wonderful time. But we kind of know that bit, don't we? Everybody talks about that and they don't talk about the other side of it. And then what tends to happen is that people, because we don't talk about it enough, they think it must be us. It must be something I'm doing wrong, something my partner's doing wrong. Maybe we're not compatible. And that just absolutely breaks my heart. And so I started talking about this stuff more and more on Instagram because I really wanted to open up the conversation and just normalize the challenges and obviously help people with them as well. Yeah, it's so true. And now you've, when you say all of those reasons of, of why and how relationships change, in in hindsight it feels so obvious you know mm. that I feel you know for myself I feel like how was I so naive that I didn't really think about how I thought I might um you know I'd heard a little bit of like oh you know eye rolling or resentment at maybe the partner who gets to sleep a bit more or whatever but I didn't think about yeah just how much, how much actually it's not just about who's uh yeah who's on maternity leave and who isn't it's about everything and um mm. yeah so I, I love I love your work and all your um, your posts are really you know just normalizing those experiences um and of course yeah and, and, and um, I'll include some information to this in the show notes as well but you've got some really great resources as well to help parents yeah or you know get get back into the sack for example and things like mm-hmm. that yeah it's just physically you know in terms of your your sexual relationship it changes so much doesn't it for for every, and I suppose every every relationship is totally different, right? Mm-hmm. So what might be your normal will be totally different for someone else's. And then we're comparing ourselves even more against, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It really is. And of course, it's entirely natural that we're going to compare ourselves against other people. But I think it's really helpful when you find yourself doing that to kind of turn back inwards and think, what's going on here? You know, why am I, what does it, what does it matter really? What does it mean? whether other people are having sex or how much sex other people are having you know what's really going on is it that you're not actually satisfied with how much you're having or is it that you're worried that your partner isn't okay with it and 
you know, quality is always so much more important than important than quantity of these things, isn't it? You know, what really matters is is the sex that you are having good. You know, are you enjoying it, and are you feeling connected to your partner? And often, it's really hard to kind of look inwards and feel that stuff and think, "Oh, I feel like something isn't okay. We're not talking about it. I don't feel good about it." So we find ourselves thinking about other people instead and thinking, "Oh, I bet they're having lazy sex. I bet everyone else is doing it all the time." So shifting that focus back inwards is really helpful and thinking, like, "What conversation do we actually need to have about this?" Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, okay, let's start off with, I guess, going straight into, into sex then, <laughs> straight mm-hmm. into the deep end. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you say, like, what are some common scenarios you see with people you work with or that you speak to on Instagram? Like, what do you feel like are the really big issues that couples are facing with their sex lives after having, but or should we particularly maybe after the first baby? Because I suppose it changes, mm-hmm. right, with different families and yeah definitely and I think the first baby can be the biggest shock of all because you know often they come along relatively early into the relationship you might not have been that far out of the honeymoon stage you've you know obviously some some couples really struggle and getting pregnant can be really difficult Mm -hmm. and also for lots of couples it's a very exciting time where they're having loads of sex you know um and then the shock, it's a its a big shock to, um, to go through a phase of not having much sex, which of course is completely normal. Of course, when you've just had a baby, it's going to drop down your list of priorities to be having sex. But also even the amount of physical touch you have is going to drop massively. And the thing is about touch and also about sex is that they how much we do is largely a question of habit if you're just in the habit of doing it regularly you're likely to do it if the habit changes for some reason you're less likely to and then when you think of all those challenges we've been talking about the tiredness and then also like the resentment that can come up especially if we're carrying the mental load and you know doing the lion's share of the childcare and the domestic work it's it might well be the absolute last thing on your mind um especially if it feels like your partner is asking something of you. Um, and the, the, one of the problems that that's very common that comes up in, um, in straight relationships is that it, obviously, you know, the, it, it varies massively, but there are some big trends of what's most common among men and women. And men, generally speaking, tend to experience sexual desire quite spontaneously. And they also like to connect with their partners through physical closeness. And then you've got women, on the other hand, tending to experience desire more responsively. So when things that they find sexy, like kissing and cuddling, are already happening, then they start to get in the mood. And they also often need to feel emotionally connected first in order to want sex. So you've got a bit of a catch-22 here. And you've got a man who will quite often be really missing that closeness, that loving connection he used to share with his partner. And he'll try and initiate something. And she'll be thinking, like, are you kidding me? Like, after the day that I've had and how disconnected we've been feeling, is this really what you think is going to happen here? Um, And so then, completely understandably, she'll end up rejecting him, but often not realising how painful that rejection can be because not recognising that 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 initiation was actually an invitation for closeness. He really wants to feel closer to her. He's doing it the best way he can, you know, the best way he knows how. And so the rejection can feel like it's turning down that invitation for closeness, not just turning down sex. And then you can see how the disconnection can really kind of get um, laid down. 
And um, what often doesn't happen then is a conversation about what she needs in order to actually want sex. So we'll, there'll just be like an initiation, a rejection, and then, you know, exhausted, everyone just turns away from each other and goes to sleep. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that is most helpful if you do find yourself rejecting your partner, which is obviously completely normal, we all get rejected, we all reject people, that's absolutely normal. Um, but one thing that's really helpful, especially if it's been happening more and more, is to talk to your partner about what you do need in order for it to be a yes another time in the future. So rather than just saying no, thinking about well, what was it that was making me say no and what could be different, you know, whether it's like just having a bit more time and space to yourself to kind of feel like your old self again. Or often it's about having a bit of a sense of fairness. Like if you feel like you're doing an unfair level of the chores, then I mean, resentment is a massive mood killer. And then there's also the thing about um, like feeling connected throughout the day, because we can get really bad at touching each other, especially once we have kids. Um, So, you know, if you're like just taking the time, you know, I'm not even talking about anything remotely sexual. I'm talking about, you know, just actually touching each other, just a little touch on the arm, you know, just a quick peck to say goodbye when you're leaving the house. Those little things make it seem like much less of a leap to suddenly be like, whoa, are you trying it on with me? You literally haven't been anywhere near me today. This is a bit of a jump. Yeah. And I can imagine with then if you have subsequent children as well, life can become even more about, um, teamwork and getting things done and everyone's got these roles and you know and then it's like you sometimes I think you can then just be going through the motions of your day and forget that there's that physical like you say just casualness intimacy because everyone's busy work life babies Mm. the kids things to do and those are the things I guess yeah that can just feel that can just get put to the side quite quite easily without even anyone realizing they're doing that yeah definitely because we have so much on our plates don't we and so much of it is about meeting other people's needs it's all this stuff that we have to do yeah and it can get really draining yeah and I have to say as well um I think it's quite common for um women that have had just you know obviously just had babies where you're you just don't you can feel just so touched out You, you know if you've got a baby you know I had a I had a baby that I just could never put down. So I just felt like I never had any physical space. So actually, sometimes I just wanted no one to be touching me ever. Though that's another mm-hmm. thing. I was like, what would you say to Definitely. someone in that situation? And your partner's there being really nice and trying to like put their arm around you, give you a hug, and they're just like, oh, can you just, can you not? And then they feel even more rejected, just like, even in a non-sexual way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's such a big thing. I'm so glad that we have a term for it now because, you know, whenever we're talking about feeling touched out, I always think about all the generations of women who went before us who did, you know, it's like been relatively recently that people have found a way to call it this, haven't they? And every time I talk about it on Instagram, I have people go, oh, there's a name for it. Like they're still kind of spreading the word because that's one of the things that's most helpful about it is actually being able to describe it and being able to explain to your partner how you feel. Because, I mean, our kids, like they, you know, they can be so clingy some days some babies like like one of yours you know they never you can never put them down they climb all over us and it's really normal to find that really exhausting to get overwhelmed and to feel irritable and you know I remember feeling like I was just desperate especially when I was breastfeeding to just be able to keep my body inside my clothes for a few hours instead of just (laughs) having to get like whip a boob out on demand sometimes you're just like you feel like your body is not your own Mm. and I think how we react to this really varies you know some people get 
feel really desperate for adult conversation. They really feel that wanting to feel cared for. Other people just want to zone out in front of the TV at the end of the day. So, you know, however you react is normal. And we do need to be able to find a way to talk to our partners about it. And one really important thing to understand about feeling touched out is that it's when we come to associate the the feeling of physical touch with meeting demands from other people that we can feel particularly like we're shutting down on anyone who wants to touch us, which is, of course, that's natural. If you are looking after little children and they keep trying to touch you all day and they keep needing things from you, of course, you're going to make that association. But the most helpful remedy for feeling touched out is to break that association. So it's a bit of a weird thing, but actually one of the best things to feel better when you're touched out is to receive physical touch, but it needs to be so that you really, really feel like you're receiving. Like if you imagine going for a massage and you're just lying there and no one's asking anything of you, then that actually feels so much better. Mm. Like that's actually really comforting and recharging. And one thing that's really important about this and how it links into sex is when you when your partner approaches you and they're interested in sex, whether that feels to you like just another demand or it feels like something that they're going to give to you. And so then it brings up questions about the balance of giving and receiving in the sex that you're having. And, you know, lots of straight couples are having sex, which is much more pleasurable for men than it is for women. So that's a really important thing to think about as well is, you know, how can you have the conversation that you need to have about the sex that you're having and what makes it really good for you so that when your partner initiates, you have a bit more of a feeling like it's as if someone said to you, do you want to go for a massage rather than it's like it's like a baby crawling all over me all over again. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, Yeah. And I suppose whenever you go through a major life change, but particularly having a baby, And I wonder if this is perhaps true if you're first or you're fourth or whatever, but sometimes you can feel getting to a headspace where you feel like this is wherever I'm here forever now, like this has changed forever and I don't recognize it. And that, yeah, that that concept of waiting and knowing that this will pass. And, you know, maybe you, maybe you really have just totally lost your libido. I know I just, for me, sex was just not part of my vocabulary for a good while after having a baby. I just couldn't, nothing you know nothing could get me into that headspace I just was not interested it was like which I'm sure was a hormonal response Mm -hmm. to breastfeeding and having birth and my body just going no no more babies for a while (laughs) anyway and yet I think I was just thinking about this this morning actually and how at the time I thought what if this is me now forever what if Mm. what if having a baby has just taken away my entire sex drive Mm. (laughs) and then now because that was four years ago I can look back and I think oh it did come back and actually I do feel like myself again and it's changed and evolved and all those things but yeah sometimes things can feel really final can't they when you've had a baby And, and and the whole landscape has changed on everything Mm, definitely I mean it's one of the things that you realize more and more as you become more experienced as a parent that you can get through so much by just reminding yourself it's just a phase it's just a phase it's going to change but it's completely normal reaction to the change in the first place I think most parents remember the moment when they thought what have I done I can't go back this is my life now (laughs) you know even when we're absolutely delighted and so happy about it there's that moment of thinking that And when we don't talk about these things out loud, then they hold so much more power. So what you quite often get is two people who are a bit scared to say anything about how things are. You know, most of us have not had, um, you know, healthy, open conversations about sex modelled as we were growing up, especially Mm -hmm. those of us British people. Um, You know, we're not very good at talking about this stuff openly. 
And so if you haven't had that, you haven't developed that habit of talking about sex and then you're not having any and then you're thinking, oh, God, I don't feel any desire. I'm completely out of touch with my libido. You might be thinking it's probably better not to mention it because, you know, who wants to have the conversation? How's my partner going to take it? But actually, if you look at it through that lens, like it is just going to be a phase. Things are going to change. Everything always keeps on changing then the conversation can become much more helpful because you can be reminding each other of that and bringing that bit of hope back in when you're feeling that despair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is just a phase. It is, it is, it's true though, isn't it? And um, yeah, but I, I suppose this is the difficulty, right? Is that um, if you're in a relationship, two people that, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like, but I know for myself, amongst my friends, with your pregnancy with your first, it can feel like quite a, a collaborative experience sometimes that like you can really feel like you know maybe you have a partner that's really looking after you and you feel like you're kind of going through it together and getting excited and going to these appointments and then not always obviously I know that that's not everyone's situation but then when the baby comes you're on you're having such very very different experiences mm. you know so um especially if you've got a partner who's out at work or you know just you know maybe you're maybe you're yeah anyway just I suppose like the experience of being the the primary caregiver and the, and the and the other pa- the other parent is so different different and I suppose it's just finding space to get back onto that same page and helping each other understand how different I think a lot of I think a lot of mothers feel like their partners just don't understand mm. their day-to-day their life because they understand their partner's old life you know they know what it's like to mm. go to work do all those things come home but they they feel like then their partner doesn't have an understanding of what it is like to have a life with a baby and then that it's hard isn't it then to to, mm. to, to communicate or to have like these new skills because you're just on such different in different worlds essentially it's really hard I mean that is basically the story of what is the hardest thing I think for straight couples when they have a baby is generally her life changes so much more than his and that all of the stuff that comes with that is where a lot of the challenges are rooted. And that's why one of my top tips for couples is for her to leave him alone with the children as much as possible, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Because when you're feeling like my partner just doesn't get it, there is a truth in that. They don't get it because they haven't had that experience. So how would they get it? Mm-hmm. So look at it through that lens and think, well, how can I get it so that he does get it more? How can he have as much of that experience as possible? Mm-hmm. And then the benefits of that are just absolutely massive because there's obviously that connection and understanding, but there's also the kind of the growing through the experience, then he's going to grow more confidence. And then he's so much less likely to just look to you like, oh, what do the kids need or what are we doing today? So, you know, you're going to feel more like a team. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, you might not be able to change or you might not even want to change your kind of overall dynamic in terms of who's working when and who's looking after children that much. But, you know, you have your weekends and it's absolutely a good and healthy thing for you to get out and go for a walk on your own, go for a coffee on your own. And these are all things that can help you to kind of reconnect with your sense of yourself outside motherhood as well, which is a really important thing for your kind of um, your sense of your own sexuality and your own confidence in that area yeah it's so true I know that um for me and my husband uh actually lockdown was it was really good for that because mm. suddenly being thrust into the world where he was at home every day seeing um the sort of yeah the ins out ins and out of Monday to Friday 
I just I'd never felt more kind of validated or seen or whatever mm. when he said it, like after a week he was like wow that's really hard what you're doing every day and I just like you and it's not that he didn't think it was hard before but he he understood on a different level because he saw it he was yeah. living it and it was it was a real turning point just for me and I felt like I was able to let go actually a lot of resentment just in him saying that alone so I think yeah but I think that's brilliant advice actually is to like you say to take time for yourself and like you say even if it's a walk outside mm. it doesn't have to be a and week recognize away. <laughs> that it's good for everyone yeah well get to a week away eventually hopefully. I mean, that'd be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know recognizing that it's good for everyone because we can hold a lot of guilt around this as well like I'm supposed to be there but actually the more you leave your baby or babies with their dad the stronger the relationship will be and the better that is for everyone yeah yeah and you know obviously there's a strong feeling like you lots of lots of mothers want to be with their baby 24 7 but there is also that other part of you that does also want to be a part and mm-hmm. I attention yeah and and it's okay to listen to the to the part of you that also wants the space it doesn't make you a bad parent it doesn't yeah. you know and I always think from an evolutionary point of view you know we are supposed to raise children in a group you know from, mm-hmm. like, with, our, with our kind of extended family around us and that even though yes, you want to be near them, that and there's that thing that keeps you coming back to your child and keeps you obsessed with them and keeps you needing them and craving them. And it's why you look at pictures of them when you're not with them and all of that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but there is also a need for your own sense of self. And I suppose, particularly from a, a relationship point of view, it's like you were saying about feeling needed and, and always being giving and, uh, you know, I suppose like being always having a role to give. So you're you're being the the mother or the partner giving this, this, everyone's wanting things from you. So actually where you can have a space where there are things that are just for yourself, that that's an important part of being a in a healthy relationship, right? That you're not then mm. always giving and giving and giving and giving to every single other person. You're also giving to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we need to have some kind of sense of who we are outside of what we are to other people you know for for our own kind of health and well-being but also in order to be attractive to each other yeah that's such a good point isn't it yeah Mm, if you think of when you were first with your partner what it was that attracted you to each other you know you're looking at somebody who knows who they are and takes care of themselves and of course it's completely natural and normal that you lose sight of that for a little while when you have babies of course but if you find yourself just lost there over an extended period of time, it's going to have an impact sooner or later. So it's really not a selfish thing to put yourself first and to rediscover yourself. You know, you'll ultimately be giving back to your partner and children through that process anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose uh, uh, that's an interesting point you touched on as well about the confidence and looking after yourself and feeling attractive in yourself, because I think that's, you know, there are a lot of, yeah physical but it's not actually just about the physical changes I don't think either although I think that is can be a big part of it obviously if your body has changed lots of people have then kind of feelings about that but the mental changes you go through that process of of matrescence and everything it can it can take a minute can't it to find (laughs) your own confidence and attractiveness again and think who like who literally who am I now and what makes me it's yeah I mean it's quite a long minute isn't it (laughs) 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 definitely not literally a minute because I mean you're you're kind of finding yourself again but in a sense you're sort of getting to know a new person aren't you you know we 
you're you're still in there but you've also changed so much so it's partly about getting back in touch with who you were before but also about finding who you are now on the other side of this change and when you look back to you know when you were a young woman and how long it took for you to feel like you really knew yourself you understood yourself you knew what you needed you know if you feel like you've ever really completed that process it takes years it's really normal and these things they they do take time and attention and you can make a massive change with some conscious efforts you know rather than just kind of waiting and hoping thinking I'm going to spend a bit of time with myself I'm going to do things that I enjoy or that I used to enjoy and see if I still enjoy them now you know no, no one's going to come along and rescue us from it that's the thing is it that we have to decide you know when you have that feeling of like I don't know who I am anymore I don't feel like I'm getting excited about things I'm not feeling much libido my confidence has dropped to really respond to those feelings I think right what little things can I start to do in order to put myself out there a little bit and start to see what's out there and how I feel about it how I respond to it it's it's a process isn't it yeah and it might be something that we've never seen modeled in our own like you're saying our own parents relationships either like it it, uh, but culturally we might have this I think there's this obsession with sort of like bouncing back and looking like how you did before or yeah kind of like surface level of everything looks okay and we're not talking about yeah that inner work and Mm. yeah and uh and if I suppose if yeah it depends how what kind of home you grew up in and you might not have seen your own parents kind of do that Mm, yeah definitely because it is very very normalized in our culture for women especially to just completely sacrifice themselves to motherhood yeah yeah totally yeah we we see images of that everywhere and it gets kind of glorified doesn't it yeah yeah but it's a bit of a it's a slippery path it is it is that sort of like yeah super mum kind of myth or like that kind of Mm. yeah it is it's um yeah it I think that's where I think then when it comes back to like expect expectation versus reality I suppose doesn't it then because mm. then you're like well I'm not feeling I'm not feeling like actually I don't want to be sacrificing myself and that must make me a terrible mother because surely like why would I have needs why you know why can't I sacrifice all my needs for my children mm. and partner and work and everything you know am I really selfish you know am I I, I remember thinking god I must be too selfish to have a baby because Mm. there's parts of me that miss my old life or there's parts of me that miss or is craving this thing mm-hmm. yeah it's I've, I I find the whole concept of selfishness so interesting it's so interesting that we use it as a negative term yeah. when actually there's of course there's selfishness that's really unhealthy and unhelpful um but there's also very healthy selfishness yeah. which you know when I look at my children and I think of the times when they've been most thriving and they've just been happiest and I've seen the biggest joy on their faces it's when I'm at my absolute best like yeah. nothing really has as big an impact on how happy and well they are than how happy and well I am and my partner is because you know we create their environment so the better we look after ourselves that you know the ripple effect onto them is huge yeah it's so true it's so true um okay so one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was um is there such thing as a normal sex life for parents I feel like that's like a that's an easy one yeah (laughs) definitely I mean there's there's not such a thing as a normal sex life for anyone is there yeah um but especially not for parents I mean you're you're talking about a long-term relationship here aren't you you know we're really hoping 
when we couple up with our partners that we're going to be with them for a significant period of time and we're both going to change a lot over that time and you'll you know your your sex life is kind of built up from two people who are evolving people and evolving sexualities there's a lot of moving parts essentially and it's completely normal that it's going to be evolving and changing all the time. And, you know, there are statistics about what's the average, for example, like apparently the average British couple has sex about once a week. Um, You know, you can find that stuff. You can compare to that if you find it helpful. But you're talking about the phase of life when you've probably got the most challenges in terms of, first of all, even just practically the time pressure, the time that you have to just be alone together is so limited plus all the other stuff we've been talking about, about the demands on you, of course, you're likely to be in one of the kind of drier, the dry spells are likely to hit through this time, aren't they? But again, it's about asking yourself when you're wondering, like, is it normal? Or does it feel okay to you? You know, that's what's so much more important. I mean, whenever when you ask yourself if it's normal about anything, really, we all ask ourselves whether things are normal. Um really what matters is do you feel okay with it do you feel do you think your partner feels okay with it do you want to do something about it if you're worrying if you're thinking oh we really haven't had sex for ages you know do you feel okay about that do you are you able to talk about it in a pretty calm relaxed way and you're both kind of saying to each other like I feel okay about it it feels pretty normal to me or are you fighting about it all the time and one of you is really bothered about it um you know thinking about the impact that it's having on you how things are and then if you do want to do something about it knowing that there is loads of stuff that you can do to improve things that you know you don't have to accept something that you're not happy with yeah yeah when I feel like whenever I do like a question box on them um, on Instagram of like is it normal one of the most common questions it will always be like is anyone else not having sex at three months postpartum anyone else not having sex a year postpartum has anyone really only had sex once in two years like, can I just check that this is <laughs> my the only mm-hmm. one and um, it's always really I mean I'm no, you know we're all nosy aren't we it's interesting and you just want mm-hmm. you know like you say like it's we're going to compare a little bit we're going to be interested in what other people are doing because so that's kind of human nature right yeah it's, it's completely normal, of course um but yeah I think you're I think that's really powerful like what is it good for you and I think what you said about coming back to the communication element and I suppose sex can just be this thing that maybe maybe for pre-children actually couples some couples don't actually talk don't don't need to talk hugely mm. about or they might not have given it a lot of thought um like you say it's so different because yeah lots of people do have children at the at relatively early on in their relationship and Whereas some people might have been together for 10 or 15 years before they have a child and other people might have been together 10 or 15 months and then that mm. must be um yeah that must really change things a lot yeah and it's really difficult if you haven't been in the habit of having conversations about sex yeah then first of all just trying to talk about it can feel really hard and then feeling like it becomes like a we need to talk kind of thing like just the very fact you're talking about it can can feel stressful in the beginning um that's why in my back in the sack workbook which you mentioned earlier I put a whole load of sample scripts just to inspire people to get the conversation started showing ways that you can start talking about it that are really non-threatening really gentle feel positive feel encouraging um because it's one of those things that starting to do it can feel really hard but it can just become a habit of just another thing that you talk about you can change that and actually that you mentioned the word habit again and that's something I wanted to come back to because you said that at the start and I thought I thought that was really 
<laughs> I don't know why I've, I've never thought about sex as a habitual thing before mm. like, that's really interesting mm-hmm. that of, of looking at it as like a habit that you kind of yeah get get a it's, it's so similar to some other habits like if you think for example something like going to the gym or whatever kind of like yeah. regular exercise habit that you're trying to get into if you look back you can probably think there's been phases of your life where you were regularly doing it and it just became part of your life and you're like oh it's Tuesday night I'm going to go to the pool or whatever it looks like for you and then you kind of slip you're not well or something you don't go for a bit you get an injury and then it's like somehow starting up again feels so hard because it just feels like that's not what I do now yeah it's so similar to what sex is like yeah and the first time you go it feels like a bit weird (laughs) the first time that you have sex again after a break can feel really weird really awkward like what are we doing here do we normally behave like this it's really it feels really strange and different and that's normal but then when you get the habit going again it's like oh yeah this is just what we do yeah yeah because it's not that you don't like swimming anymore or you you know Mm -hmm. it's just that yeah it's like it's so interesting and it's so right and I remember a friend of mine who again like I thought they had this like really perfect relationship and she just said it's just it's just awkward like I just we both are clearly feeling awkward about about sex and it's and it's been so long now that I just feel a bit like yeah who's going to be the first one to sort of make the move and now we're just both avoiding it it's not even like a it's not a point of tension it's not a point of arguing it's just awkward Mm, it's just like doesn't really feel like something that we do here yeah 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 Yeah. and the thing about initiating sex is really hard as well I mean there are so many different ways to do it and most people um you know get into kind of some routines of doing it in familiar ways that kind of feel okay for a while which can vary massively you know from being extremely subtle to just being really blunt about it <laughs> and even just having a conversation about how you initiate can be really helpful just as a starting point yeah um and do you are you a fan of sort of then like date nights or scheduling sex is that something you think can help couples I think it's really, really helpful to schedule time together without distractions. Mm -hmm. I think the pressure of the idea that you're going to have sex is really unhelpful. And for a lot of people, it's exactly, (laughs) it's a big turn off, isn't it? It's like nobody wants to put in their diary like, this is what I have to do tonight. Mm -hmm. And especially for women who can often get into a bit of a habit um, or, or just sometimes experience this thing where we're sort of monitoring whether we're getting in the mood enough, whether we're getting ready quick enough. Um, the feeling like we have to do it tonight can really add to that and feel really pressured so what I recommend to couples is that they just schedule time to spend time together without any screens and you know ideally you would spend that time in bed together without any clothes on that would be great if you're both up for that Mm -hmm. Um, but if that feels like too much too soon that you know start with something else but to have like any kind of pressure to get it on, I think is is really unhelpful. So just taking that pressure off and just enjoying like ultimately sex is supposed to be about play and just about enjoying each other and connecting and having fun together. So what you actually do end up doing together matters so much less. And then when you look at it like that, you probably will end up doing it more. Whereas if you're thinking like, right, we've got to have sex every Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, what a turn off. <laughs> yeah. And- I suppose um, a lot of people who will be listening to this may have be at the stage of life where they've got their children in and out of their beds quite a lot as well. And so um, that space might not even be an option anymore. What would your advice 
be for that. Although it's just like you say, you've touched on this a lot, the, the lack of time and the, um, the, yeah, the practicalities of, of having that time to just get naked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the co-sleeping, if you co-sleep, that really presents such a challenge. And I think it comes back again when they get older as well. You know, they go through a phase where they're napping, which is really helpful. Yeah. And then they're going to bed earlier in the evenings, which is really helpful. And then at some point, I mean, my kids reach the age where they need less sleep than me now. So I don't know when I'm supposed to have any kind of private time without them around. I mean, you do, you have to build up some kind of boundaries and expectations about that, about them spending time in their own room and, you know, getting a lock on your bedroom door is very helpful. I think the the sooner you get the lock on the bedroom door and the more you can just use it from time to time. So you normalize the idea that, you know, the door is sometimes locked. Um, that can be helpful. But I think the the most important thing if you're in that kind of co-sleeping phase is to make sure that you're talking about it because you really want to avoid that situation where it becomes unspoken. So then you're kind of one or other of you is imagining that your partner just doesn't care or they aren't interested. And then that can produce a whole, whole load of new issues. But you do, I mean, you need to work together to try and find creative solutions don't you and be flexible about when and where you're going to do it you know it might be the sofa for you um you've got to kind of I think think about how you can like make those spaces work for you if that's what it's going to look like um and then just the same stuff that we've been talking about is so important like making the most of the moments that you can so that you're you know touching kissing holding hands through the day so that it doesn't feel this big pressure you know if you're keeping connected all the time then it's a lot easier to just kind of grab the available moments when you can whereas if you feel like you're so disconnected and you're kind of starting from zero that's really hard and again it's that thing about it just being a phase yeah just being really patient and understanding with each other yeah yeah um I suppose some people, because we don't talk a lot about relationships, I, well, anyway, that's my experience. I don't think, you know, lots of us might have some intimate friendships where we can really kind of vent and let off steam, mm-hmm. you know, oh, my partner just, whatever, they're not reading my mind, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, um, or, or what have you. Um, but I suppose a lot of people still might worry, like when, you know, there's a, I think there's still a taboo around getting I think getting relationship therapy actually is still quite taboo I think a lot of people think if you go and talk to a counsellor that must be really bad like things mm. must be terrible do you encounter that like reluctance mm-hmm. in people or do you see that yeah definitely it's it's a bit of a weird one for me because obviously people know what I do it's hard for me to have a finger on the pulse of what's normal in our culture because everybody talks to me about their relationships (laughs) yeah that's true Um, and you know people will tell me if they've been to couples counseling of course because you know it's someone they can talk to about it who they know will get it um but I am aware definitely especially from speaking to my clients um that there is still a lot of nervousness about the process and I mean if you've ever seen any couples therapy on tv you would you know from a lot of shows that you see it on you'd be put off the idea of ever engaging with it because there's usually ends up being a story about how the therapist starts having an affair with one of the patients or something you know (laughs) absolute nightmare the worst advertising possible you know it really is just a really helpful conversation with somebody who has got the training and expertise to help you but also because they're not in the relationship they've just got that bit more distance that they can see it in a way that it's really hard to see when you're in it and you're struggling with it you can't kind of step back and see both sides of it in an objective way 
Um, so yeah, I it, I always want to tell people like I wish I could tell you about all of my success stories about just how helpful it can be. And the sooner you go, the more helpful it is. You know, if your partner says to you, "I think we need some help," just jump at the chance because the earlier you go in your relationship. First of all, you won't need as much help because things won't have got ingrained. So it'll be cheaper and it won't take up as much time. You'll be able to sort it out quickly and more easily. But also you'll get to enjoy the benefits of the learning and growth that you get through the therapy for a really long time. You know, if you go to therapy early in your relationship, you might have decades ahead of you, which will be so much happier for both of you together because of the work that you did earlier on. So I really encourage people to go early and also to talk to people about it, to be open about it, to try and because obviously I'm out here trying to break down the taboo as best I can. But I'm on this side. I mean, I have had couples therapy lots of times with my husband you know we find it extremely helpful that's how I got into doing this Mm -hmm. um but I know that when I talk about it of course people think well of course you're going to talk about the benefits of scholars counseling um so I would really encourage people who do do it to talk to people close to them and tell them you know we've done this amazing thing and it really helped us to spread the word yeah well I and I I mean just in the spirit of that my husband and I saw someone at the end of lock well yeah kind of halfway through lockdown because we were just like wow this is forcing us to really look at a lot of like the mm-hmm. dynamics in our relationship and our son turned one in June 2020 and it was like okay we were looking back at the first year of parenthood and all of this very intense time we spent together in a two-bed flat in central London with a baby and <laughs> it was a lot going on um and it was it was great you know and it wasn't like this I think I felt I definitely felt this stigma and I felt embarrassed sometimes to be because I felt like if you say like oh did you hear so and so they're in therapy it sounds like oh, got this toxic terrible relationship and we just the reality is we both just needed help communicating mm-hmm. and, and it was it was it was amazing and we didn't do it for ages and but then no shame if you do but you know mm-hmm. it, you know it was just a really nice healthy thing to do and you know I think for a lot of people there's often one partner who is maybe more reluctant sometimes both mm-hmm. you know and I suppose it can be difficult I think a lot of people say to me I would love to do that but I my partner's just not doesn't want to go there is worried maybe about yeah what they're going to open up what it means that that's like the end and mm-hmm. um, yeah so I think the more positive not like destigmatizing stories we hear the better yeah that's so great I really appreciate you sharing that because that's mm. such a good example of that um and I think when it comes to partners who are really reluctant and concerned about it they un, you know the concerns are completely understandable you know often mm-hmm. people will feel like maybe my partner's just taking me there to try and get me fixed or to get the therapist to agree with everything that they say and you know just prove how wrong I am about everything you know there's a lot of a lot of fears about it and what I would say to people in that situation is to just go and give it a try and know that if you have a first session or even a fifth or sixth session with a therapist and you think this person isn't right for us I'm not connecting with them I'm not finding this helpful I don't feel like they're uh, you know being fair to us both if anything like that is happening then you know stop it then don't go and see them anymore you can always go and see somebody else 
Um, because of course there are, you're going to hear the odd story of things that don't go well because you know being a therapist is is just a job at the end of the day like any other job of course you're going to get the odd person who isn't in the right job and should be doing something else but <laughs> yeah. so many people have so many fantastic experiences that they would love to share with you so I would just encourage people to just give it a try yeah I think it's so good as well that there's some cultures and communities where like re- relationship support is more normalized so that you might certain religions might have a pre-marriage course or you know or they might have a family dynamic where their parents or grandparents really talk about this is actually what goes into a long-term relationship or this is what goes into a co-parenting relationship and I think for a lot of people like myself I actually don't have anything like that in my in my culture in my world you know so um I've had friends who have been certain religions had for example yeah like pre pre pre-marriage counseling as part of their preparation to making that commitment and I always think that sounds so good Mm. of course you should be learning how to talk about money of course you should be learning to talk about your expectations of of sex and parenting and I suppose that's another thing isn't it it's just like you're just doing this when you become parents this whole new role for both of you and you're both bringing loads of baggage loads of different expectations and you're yeah just suddenly in these new roles and you might think I don't like the way you do that or actually I never thought we would do it like this and then that's just bleeding into everything so Mm. I think if there can be a you know if you do have access to some kind of professional support with an expert like yourself or someone who really just knows what they're talking about Mm. (laughs) um you know and certainly like you know my parents split up and I didn't get to you know when I was quite young so I never really saw that modeled for myself so I think it's a great time to be alive that we have these opportunities, obviously. Um, yeah, obviously there's a, there's an element of privilege, though, I suppose, in being able to pay for it and things like mm-hmm. that. But, um, yeah, definitely. But then, I mean, the whole yeah. reason that I got into this world is because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I didn't have healthy, strong relationships modelled for me when I was growing up. Nobody taught me how to do it. And so yeah. I had to go and try and work it out along the way. Yeah. And then... I've just learned so much that's been so helpful that that's, you know, that's why I started doing the coaching as well as therapy, because I just wanted to teach people this stuff that really I wish we were all taught in school. It would be amazing. I mean, obviously they do PSHE or whatever it's called. You do like a little bit of some stuff that maybe touches on relationships. Um, And then I think when, um, when people are doing NCT, they maybe do one session where they touch on relationships as well. But, you know, we do so much to prepare for having babies, like getting all the stuff that we're going to need and doing some research into parenting and things. But we just kind of have these ideas that somehow just because we love somebody or we loved them at some point, that should somehow be enough. But actually, there's so much we can learn about what's actually really helpful and unhelpful, especially when it comes to communication. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I I feel like that's what I mean. I feel like I had absolutely no, no yeah, no uh, training or education in relationships before. And then you find mm. yourself in one and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and it's like, the, it's the most important thing in your life. I mean, most people would say that their family is the most important thing in their life. Mm-hmm. And then you think of all the hours and hours of training and education that you've had for work things. Mm-hmm. And then we somehow expect us somehow just make it work with relationships it's a massive pressure that we put on ourselves which is pretty unfair I think it is it really is um yeah it's it's kind of crazy like the more you think about it it's just more kind of upside down things are and, and um yeah and that we're not really learning <laughs> well maybe it's getting better in schools now I don't know 
Mm. I think things are changing in schools. I think there's, you know, maybe not maybe not quickly enough, but um, the, the culture in schools does seem to be changing when you think of how they teach kids about mindfulness and stuff like that now, don't they? And I think um, sex and relationship education, it seems to be improving, but I would love to get in there and teach them some yeah. skills. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if you could go back in time then to your pre-parent self what do you wish that you kind of knew like what would you wish someone had said to you in that first well a when you were pregnant and then in that first year like in that kind of first early stages is there anything well that's a really interesting question it's a big I should have given you a bit of warning to think about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah well interesting I feel like I was kind of prepared in a sense for this question because I had my own therapy this morning I still love to carry on always having therapy and um I was thinking about my relationship with my daughter um who's a teenager now but back when when she was very little as well reflecting on that and um just realizing like how hard we can be on ourselves and I think I was very hard on myself I can still be quite hard on myself I still even after many years of therapy got a bit of a perfectionist streak which I'm always working on (laughs) and um And I was really kind of putting myself back in that place um, just this morning, thinking about when she was three. So my youngest would have been only one. And just thinking about the the pressure, the pressure on you in that phase of your life and and the pressure and the, the just all the demands that you have going on and just how desperately you want to get everything as right as you possibly can for them. And I think if I could go back and give myself something, it would just be a bit more self-acceptance, a bit more self-compassion, a bit more understanding. You know, it is just a phase. You're doing your best. You're all doing your best. You will get through it. I'd I'd kind of want to give myself that message. Well, that's so perfect. Yeah, I think that's really lovely. And yeah, I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. And Mm. yeah, (laughs) definitely. um, Yeah. It's a journey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I think I think lots of women will um will identify with that um because uh and I, and you know there is just there is just so much pressure and so much information nowadays. I think that's a big part of being a parent in 2023, especially. There is lots mm. and lots of information out there about how to get it right and how to be this kind of and I suppose that feeds into that insecurity that lots of mothers have about wanting to get it right and um but actually, yeah, be kind, kindness to yourself is just mm. an amazing gift that, that yeah, like you were saying earlier, that actually everyone benefits from, from a mother who's looking after herself is, mm. is for you, but it is also benefits the other people in your lives. Yeah, absolutely. For others, but, you know, it does, it, yeah, it benefits us all. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe that's a nice place to leave it there. You know, uh, it's really lovely advice. And um, yeah, I really, I'm sure that's going to help a lot of people listening to this who are in that, in that kind of foggy, exhausted, hormonal, yeah, uh, just state, just it's wild, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, I really hope so. You know, I think um, it's, it's easy to lose, to lose sight of that, Um, you know, that sense of just, just how much pressure you're under and, and to recognize that you are just doing your best and also that your partner is as well. You know, when we go through those sleepless nights and those stressful days and, you know, we can get so annoyed with each other, which is, you know, completely understandable. 
Um, but we can really lose sight of the fact that they're also going through, even if their life hasn't changed as much as yours, they're also going through a lot of stress and pressure and they are just trying their best too. And being able to talk to each other about that can be really connecting, I think, to be able to, you know, that's a wonderful thing for anyone to hear. If someone says to you, I know how hard you're working, I know that you're trying your best, you just kind of ultimately feel so much more relaxed, don't you? So to be able to give that to each other as well, it's really powerful. That is true. Yeah, like I was saying before, when my when my partner said that to me, it was a game changer. And so mm. it's really easy to get into that that uh, competitive resentment of who's got it harder, who's mm-hmm. struggling the most. Um, and that was something that I learned actually from therapy was about that it's not a competition and that actually both people's experiences are kind of do need validating and do need. Mm. You know, uh, not that I'm a relationship expert, but it's still a work in progress. But, you know, that was something that I think helped me anyway. It's understanding that, that he needs that as well, actually. And that, yeah. yeah. And all relationships are always going to be a work in progress, even yeah. when you are a relationship expert. I mean, I'm sure it makes my husband laugh to hear the idea of me being a relationship <laughs> expert. because I'm still ultimately just a, a human being trying her best. And, um, you know, I still tell him off about things when I know that I'm not supposed to be critical and all of that <laughs> stuff you know nobody's ever going to get to a place of having a perfect relationship but you can have a really great one that's so good to hear and that is something actually that I hear from pretty much every guest you know like a parenting expert or a child development expert or a child psychologist they're also like I'm still like I'm not an expert with my own child or you know I I've had lactation consultants who've struggled to breastfeed or all these things like we're like we're all just doing our best and actually perfect doesn't exist and it's yeah. good to know that uh, yeah even relationship um, therapists and coaches up there it's still a work in progress for everyone definitely oh oh thank you so much Catherine um, thank you Anna okay um great well like I said I will link to your website and um all the different ways that you can work with people in the show notes um and yeah and what what I love about what you do I suppose is there are some really affordable options there as well for workbooks and digital things that you can download and use if if someone's not in a position where they can work one-to-one with a therapist right now I really love that there are other resources that you do that look super practical and super helpful as well so Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, my, you know, anyone who's struggling with what we've been talking about today, my back in the sack workbook is absolutely for you. And I also do um, like a kind of pre-recorded five part coaching um, series, um, which is, yeah, my most affordable option and like a great thing to look into if you've just been feeling like your relationship overall is not the same since you had kids. We'll just really give you like a good injection of kind of uh, optimism and positivity and some ideas about what you can do to turn things around oh just again another huge thank you to Catherine I so so enjoyed that um episode and just found everything she said so insightful and um helpful and interesting so thank you Catherine and I will be back next week with another uh, episode um later in the series we've got episodes coming up all about food and sleep so how weaning and introducing solids affect your little one's sleep. I'm going to be talking about perfectionism and people pleasing and motherhood. And also all uh, I've got a really exciting episode coming up all about low sleep needs, babies and toddlers. So stay tuned and I can't wait to hear from you all about this episode. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>